0: judge a person, and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. I don't know how we're starting. Oh, you know what I was thinking that we should say like, we should say our names because I don't think we do. Yeah, and the then end, say the name says, of the this show. This is
1: Kimberly, and then Rebecca. Oh, in, to- the okay. it's in the intro. Okay. In the
0: intro. Never mind. So that's why we always just say "Welcome back." Yeah, yeah. Now it's weird. They should be the <laughs> intro, right? Because I don't know how my own podcast sounds. That's all right. That that's Sean's job. That part. That's the part he listens to every every time. That's the only part
1: he listens to. Well, the I end, didn't hear the slamming door on the other thing. No, no, he didn't he didn't put the slamming door in. I actually looked for one, but I was, I was like, I don't, like, I don't know how to fun. download it. I went oh. to this place and I was like, how do I get this sound? And I don't know. I was just like, I'm not going to try and figure this out.
0: Welcome to Big Reputations Podcast, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, so we got some updates from the worlds.
1: Remember, we were talking about the Norwegian handball team's
0: uniforms, their lack of uniforms with their weird up tilt angle, no more than four inches total. That's not even that's not clothing. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. So we wanted to, to do this update on the Norwegian handball team's uniform because they
0: fought and they fought. And it may be changing? Yeah, it seems like it is. It's under review for changing. It's, it seems like it's going to go through, though. I, yeah. I, I get that impression
1: where they will now have to wear a fitted tank top and, uh, fitted and fitted shorts. So it's still a fitted uniform. But there's no length
0: right designated. Right. Because, like, why should that matter? Right? I also love that the handball organization or whatever was like yeah we'll review your feedback but then they actually did yeah they're like okay we reviewed it and um this is what we think they weren't just like yeah sure shred box folder no actually changes are happening Mm -hmm. so that's good impressive we're glad to see it we love to see it we love to see the change so we're on TikTok now. Oh yeah, we're yeah, on That's right. We TikTok. have <laughs> have joined the TikTok. Hello, At, fellow kids. Hello, fevo, fellow youths. Is fellow youth. Fellow youths. <laughs> he did you see? It's, if you don't know, that's a Steve Buscemi quote from the greatest show in the world, uh, Thirty Rock, where he goes undercover in high school. And he's like, hello, fellow children, or hello, fellow teenager, or something like that. Young people. Young people. It's really funny. And he looks like Steve Buscemi. Like he looks like he's like 50, wearing like a cool hat backwards. You're looking it up. Yeah. You can keep talking though. Oh, so he wore that costume for Halloween and handed out candy. He did. And I'm ashamed because Steve Buscemi is my neighbor. <laughs> I, I saw him twice in one day, one time. Yeah. We had a stoop sale and I was just like, hey, and he was like, hey, and then he walked by again and I was like, hey, <laughs> and he was like, hey, and I'm like, have a good day. But I wanted to nerd out so bad because I love Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Yeah. He lives on the same block that I do, which we're not going to tell you where
1: that is because yeah. we don't need you bugging him or coming to my house yeah um, no. all of that would be creepy but he hands out candy every year which, for like, halloween which how is dare awesome. you not tell me
0: because i assumed i did at some point no yeah so some girl got a picture with him and i feel like that would be the perfect opportunity take a picture okay he wouldn't be like well,
1: come next halloween and that's when i should have take handed, a picture i so I you can know. hand out candy at
0: my stoop and when you run <gasps> out you can go up the block and I, take a picture with steve i love that idea Okay. I've never handed out candy, and I want to. Okay. Can you throw it at them? Like, in their bags, but, like, also their face. No. (laughs) Trick or treat. Sometimes it's a treat. Sometimes it's a trick. Why not both? (laughs) Boom. In your face, kid. Uh, No, but a lot of people did, like,
1: little shoots for (gasps) COVID-19 distancing. They made, like, a little shoot that went down the banister of your of your stoop and Mm. um the kids just put the bag at the bottom of it and it would fall that's really cute yeah that's how they did Mm. trick-or-treating last year and i think some people maintain that they're like give me six feet kid (laughs) yeah but uh yeah he's he always gives out candy on halloween and i think it sounded like i said handy so i'm gonna say he always gave out candy on halloween (laughs)
0: whoa (laughs) i'm gonna have to just candy you're gonna get a cease and desist letter from Steve Buscemi, real quick. Um,
1: but he also shovels his own snow. Huh? Yeah, yes. he's a man of the people. He is. It seems like he would. Well, he used to be a firefighter. Yes. So, so like I said, he's anyway, on we're on TikTok. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, what how do we get here?
0: <laughs> how did we get here? Because you. Just, oh, hello, fellow we were, youths. Okay, okay. We we're get making it. fun of ourselves for being old and on TikTok. But one last thing about Steve Buscemi. Okay. I, or me and my now husband, sent a wedding invitation to Tina Fey because we're obsessed with the show. Um, and I think it really bonded us in the beginning of our relationship. Could I kind of just gave it to Steve and been like, hey, you know Tina? When you see her, can you drop this off? We sent it to her literary agent because we figured that would have a better chance to get to her uh-huh. than like her agent agent because people probably send stuff all the time. Okay, well, I haven't, She didn't come. She didn't come. Spoiler alert. I even if she just wrote a letter that was like, Hey, weirdo, congratulations on your wedding. That would be it. Like, anything would be awesome. She could send me a paperclip and an envelope, and I'd be like, oh, my God, Tina. <laughs> anyway, TikTok. TikTok. We're on TikTok. It, it's, it's terrible, but also great, because it's so hard to make these videos, and I don't understand how these youths do it. <laughs> like, with the transitions and stuff, Like it took me, our first video that I did was for... Regina George. And that episode happened to come out like two days before like Mean Girls Day. So I did a video for that. And that video took me three hours, like legit three hours of pain. That's too much. The last one only took me an hour and I was super proud about it. It was good. I liked it. Yes. So if you're on TikTok, what kind of TikTok videos did you like to see? Should we dance? Should we, uh, (laughs) I don't know. Just do one of those like put a finger down challenges but like they're about people we're gonna do oh
1: yeah i could do that
0: one i could I handle like that. that one yeah i know tell tell us and if you're on tiktok and we should follow you let us know or follow us on tiktok yeah Again, follow us on tiktok that's what's big all about. reputations pod
1: pod <laughs> or the big rep pod no, I think it's Big Reputations spot. I think only Twitter is different because there's a character limit yes. to your username there. So. so follow us,
0: send us a message, let us know what you like. This is a hot mess of an intro, and I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not Friday. I was like, it's Freaky Friday, do whatever, but it's Saturday. Sassy Saturday. Sassy Saturday. And we're recording two episodes. This is only the first one, so... In this episode, we're going to be discussing the one and only Yoko Uno a Japanese multimedia artist, singer, songwriter, and peace activist in her own right. We're going to talk about how she was perceived by Beatles fans, the media, and those around her. Then we'll address rumors around her relationship with John Lennon and her
1: art. But of course, as always, we'll talk about the truth beneath those rumors.
0: Finally, we'll wrap up with the impact Ono has had on the art and music world in recent years. I just want to throw a trigger warning out there uh, about suicide, and there's going to be a brief mention of miscarriage.
1: Yeah, I don't think we're getting into either of those deeply, but no. there will be mentioned.
0: so we'd just like to give you a heads up. No. So, Yoko Uno was born February 18th, 1933, in Tokyo, Japan. Uno's family bounced between San Francisco, New York, and Japan at the behest of Uno's father's employer. He worked for a bank, and he relocated as new branches opened up.
1: The family returned to Tokyo just before World War II, and her family avoided the bombing by evacuating to the mountains. Her father was separated from the family and ended up in a POW camp while her mother and two younger siblings bartered for food. Here, Ono witnessed the atrocities of war and how much damage it could do no matter your station. The family was reunited when the war ended in 1945, and her family quickly left for America. Ono stayed behind to continue her education, graduating in 1951. She was then accepted into the philosophy program at Gakushuin University. This made her the first woman to enter the department, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, but I tried to get as close as I could. Gakushuin.
0: Is that what I said? Gaku Gakushuen. I think so. I listened to it a bunch of times, okay. and I feel like Gaku is right. All right. But also, like, the first woman in the department? Holy shit. Well, that's, that's really big. That is a big deal. I mean, I 1951, yeah. yeah. Even if she did nothing else, that would be such a little footnote in history. But she did so much more. Oh, no. In September of 1952, she moved to her parents' home in Scarsdale, New York, There, she attended Sarah Lawrence College. She left Sarah Lawrence in 1956 without a degree to pursue her artistic interests. So, like, just a side note, her family is crazy wealthy. Like, if the Scarsdale address didn't tip you off. So, her mother (laughs) is, and I'm going to butcher these names, and I apologize to everyone. Isoko Yasuda was the granddaughter of Zenijiro Yasuda. He was the founder of Yasuda Bank. Her father, Ice-K Ono, was a nationally ranked golfer and a classically trained pianist who attempted to pursue a career prior to choosing the more practical business route as a bank mobile. Like, that's pretty impressive. But he had like a dream of playing piano and he was like, this is not going to work.
1: Let's get where the money is.
0: He gave up his art for money. Yeah. Which I guess is like, ooh, a theme throughout this. Ono never did that. Anyway, so due to her family's wealth, she was able to pursue her artistic interests. Yeah, she was looking for art, but she found love. I mean, she also found art, but she did find love. In
1: 1956, she eloped with Toshi Ichiyanagi, who was a composer. There isn't much known about the marriage between Ono and Toshi, but they bonded over their love of art and music. Together, they worked on a number of art installations, actually uh ono centered her work on being interactive the goal was to draw the viewer in and make them a part of the art so in july 1961 her first show opened and it was called painting to be stepped on so talk about interactive right Mm -hmm. Uh, it was actually a painting done on canvas from an army surplus shop and it was cut up and instructions were given on how to interact with it People liked it, but it wasn't really very well publicized, so it wasn't as known as it might have been.
0: So Ono got a law space at 112 Chamber. So if you're in New York City, that's in Tribeca, and it's just near the Patriot. And I don't know how many times you went to the Patriot with us. Like twice. This was the watering hole for Barnes & Noble employees. I've made quite a few terrible decisions here, but Ono made good ones just above it or just next door to it. Anyway, her Loth events caught a lot of attention of New York's leading avant-garde artists, which won her the opportunity to network. Ono
1: returned home to live with her parents as she was actually suffering from clinical depression. Uh, she was institutionalized for a while after trying to take her own life. Ono notes being overwhelmed and feeling like she was struggling. She was putting her heart into her work and it wasn't really getting the attention she thought it deserved. So while Ono was in treatment at a mental institution in Japan, she had a visitor, Anthony Cox. Anthony Cox met Yoko Ono in 1961 after he saw some of her artwork in an anthology, and he later located her in Tokyo at the institution. I mean... Romantic or creepy? Creepy. I think it's a bit creepy. Like, I saw your work in a book, so I Mm -hmm. came to a whole other country to find
0: you. Yeah. And, And, And not just to find you, but to find you in a mental health institution. At your, like, weakest point, possibly, right? And now he weasels his way in there. So the two ended up keeping in touch. They saw each other romantically on and off. When Ono discovered that she was carrying his child, she divorced Tashi and married Anthony
1: okay yeah like you do so they saw each other on and off romantically even though she was still married yes cool yeah free love
0: well i mean it was the sixties. it's almost yeah i think it's
1: 60s no i mean no judgment to her in that mm -hmm. regard but i just think it's it's interesting that like not only was she at this place but it's kind of general public knowledge that she was
0: yeah yeah Um, i guess for him to like track her down enough yeah i don't know it seems weird i i don't like it Kyoko Chancox arrived August 8th, 1963. The family spent time between New York and London. Ono was back on the art scene and was making short films and music, but her favorites were still live performance art. Yeah. During this time, she worked on a piece called Cut Piece. Uh, according
1: to MoMA, Ono sat alone on a stage dressed in her best suit with a pair of scissors in front of her. Now, the audience had been instructed that they could take turns approaching her and that they should use the scissors to cut off a small piece of her clothing, and then that would be theirs to keep. Some people approached hesitantly, cutting small squares of fabric from her sleeve or the hem of the skirt, but others came boldly. I don't know. Someone coming at me boldly with scissors. All right. But, and she didn't move at all. Like, yeah, it's I mean, actually awesome to say, but they would like snip away at the front of her blouse or the straps of her bra. Yeah. And and she did remain motionless and expressionless, you know, until when she decided that the performance was mm-hmm. over. Um, I do find that interesting, and I think it's it's meant to say a lot about the audience and what they yeah. think they have a right to.
0: Oh, exactly. Right. You know, yeah. someone
1: who's going to come and take a little snip off of the hem of your skirt or mm-hmm. the sleeve of your shirt—that's pretty mild. But if they're coming right up and they're like, "Let me chop off a,"
0: section of material right where your boobs are or like let me cut your bra straps or that must have been so interesting to see like who took what pieces and like how people approached her because you're Mm -hmm. right it says a lot about that person yeah absolutely you are the art at this point but
1: what i think is also interesting is like who is like i don't know how long this went on for Mm -hmm. but like imagining someone's staying there and observing it besides yourself because obviously she as the artist would have taken that all in but i think that's that's fascinating anyway ono spoke of the performance stating i wanted people to take whatever they wanted to so it was very important to say you can cut wherever you want to it is a form of giving that has a lot to do with buddhism which okay i mean if that's your take on it go no. for it i am thinking of it on a more critical like
0: feminist Perspective. I think but that's how it read to a lot of people, especially here in America. I think yeah. that's how, and especially for the time. So for the time, this piece was incredibly daring. It was radical feminism. She was rebuking modesty. There were themes of materialism, gender, class, culture, identity. They were all central to her work. And as always, her goal was to change the relationship between the audience and the art. Like I said, like she was making people basically part of this art. So some people hated it. Um, It was called Anti-Feminist for Objectifying Women, which I'm not sure it could be because she was the one doing it. It wasn't like some dude signed her up for it. Like, she is the woman at hand being, quote unquote, objectified. Right. And she's consenting to it. And I feel like
1: it's calling out those who are objectifying her.
0: But, you know, it was a different different realm of feminism in the 1960s mm-hmm. than we're in now, a different wave. Haters gonna hate. Anyway, some people called it abusive for the violence it displayed. But again, I feel like it was only super violent if those people, like the person who would come and cut a bra strap, they made it violent. You know, anybody else who would just be like, here's a bill lapel, I've cut it, thank you. Yeah, but the you scissors know. thing, I think that's what that's what creates the violence. It wasn't mm-hmm. like,
1: you know... Take a candy from my pocket or something.
0: I don't know. What? <laughs> what art exhibits are you going to? I'm,
1: I'm not. But what I'm saying is that like there's there's like a a weapon yeah, in essence right. being used towards it. It's not just it's like a sharp object, like yeah. taking candy from the basket trick or treat. I don't mm-hmm. know why Halloween is in my head. I know
0: <laughs> we're we're in, we're in November now, but it's fine. You all get understand. over it. So this piece was actually banned in the United Kingdom upon the release. But Ono toured with it to Tokyo, New York, and then settled in London where she began to work on a new installation for the Indica Gallery in November of 1966. Enter John Lennon. Who (laughs) that?
1: I don't know, just some guy. (laughs) He was actually, um, as you all probably know, a well-known English singer, songwriter, and musician. And uh, one quarter of the group called... um, the Beatles? The Beatles? Never heard of them. I had a Beatles phase. Did Crazy. you? Oh yeah. I was in high school around the time that the the Beatles anthology was released okay. on TV. Like yeah. I
0: had it on VHS. Like oh. that's how old it was. <laughs> I think maybe because I went through a little Beatles phase. Mine was in. Mine was when I was able to download things on LimeWire when I was in college, freshman year of college. Then I got yeah. really into it. But I do have a really quick, funny story. In my senior year of high school, we had to, for this English class, we had to pick a song and, like, I don't know, just, like, say why it was important or whatever. So there was a group of four of us. I don't remember the fourth person, but there was this one dude who had very similar music, ta- music taste to me. And then this other girl who was, like, kind of ditzy and, like, wasn't really helpful. Um, but we were just like, okay, Hey, this is what everybody's going to do. Like we split up things. And then she was like, I don't really have time to like do anything in this project. We're like, well, you know what? Why don't you find pictures? Just find pictures of the Beatles. Oh, the song we picked was, um, there are places I remember in my life. Yes. It was right around when George Harrison died. <laughs> okay, So that's why we were like, it's more important now. So we asked this girl to get pictures, right? So she brings me the pictures and I'm like, this looks off. But I don't know what's wrong with it. So I asked the other guy in my group and he was like, Beatles is spelled like the bug. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. She found pictures of a Beatles cover band (laughs) that was called like Beatles like the bug. So they had the same haircuts and the outfits, but it wasn't them. And she printed out like 60 pictures. So she was like Googling Beatles, but only knew how to spell the bug and didn't think about... And, like, once I started looking more at the pictures, I was like, these people don't look anything like the Beatles. And I was just so frustrated because then I had to, like, go and do it. And then she was like, why didn't you use any of my pictures? And I had to explain to her. And she's like, no, you're totally wrong. That was the right group. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, sure. And then she's like, you don't know what music is. And it was amazing. It was so amazing. So some people don't know who John Lennon is. All right, fair. I don't know. I just yeah. I feel like everyone
1: should. He's not my favorite person. He's kind of a dick, but you yeah. know, whatever. People
0: people are going to be on my case for that, and that's fine. I don't think so. I think it's come kind at of me. No, don't come at me, please. Universally me. known that he's kind of a terrible father and not a great person. People people yeah. have been bringing that up. I've seen TikToks about it. So all right, you know,
1: well <laughs> we'll do a response TikTok to their TikToks. Anyway. John Lennon actually came to Yoko Ono's exhibit and the two were pretty much immediately taken with one another, right? They ran in similar circles for a few years and one night, John invited Yoko Ono over while his wife was out of town. Because, you know, that's a good idea. You think he sent her a you up text? (laughs) Basically. (laughs) They spent the night listening to experimental music that John was working on and they decided to make some music of their own. Like some music of their own, but actually some real music too. Why not both? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they came up the the album Two Virgins" was born out of this night. The album was recorded in May of
0: 1968. But these two, they were no virgins. I mean, not at all. I mean, both, she had a they, kid already, but and so did he. they both had kids. Yeah, <laughs> but. Like after, so they they did interviews where they talked about this and like just freely like told people. So they recorded this music and then they had sex after they recorded all these tracks. Cynthia, John's wife, actually returned home unexpectedly the next day to find them sitting cross-legged on the floor, wearing matching white robes, just staring into each other's eyes. Okay. Yep, that's what I want to come home to. Right? Yeah. So. Of course, Cynthia and John were divorced in uh, November of 1968. So that's what? That's six months later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, what a quick divorce, right? I mean, I don't know how they go in terms I don't of either. That, but... I don't know why I said that. <laughs> like, I'm over here <laughs> watching Divorce Court. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Well, I feel like she must have, like, the next day been like, oh, I need to talk oh, to, to my sure lawyer. Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm not sure. But yeah. I feel like I'd be done. Yeah. And Yoko and Anthony divorced in February of 1969. So just a couple of weeks, months later. Yeah.
1: Ono and Lennon were married later the same year, 1969. Between the first meeting and the divorce, Ono and Anthony Cox had been separated on and off with their daughter, mostly staying in the care of her father. So like clearly
0: their marriage was a little bit... It was a little on the rocks because they had a bunch of random separations. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it was separation, some of it was she was working. Sure. Like, yeah. separated
1: didn't necessarily mean there's something bad happened. but yeah. they were physically hard. Yeah. Um, once the divorce happened, things turned a little bit ugly
0: and Cox went off the grid with their daughter, Kyoko. So, once married, Ono and Lennon petitioned for custody and they won. But unfortunately, Anthony took the child to Texas. Ono did not see her daughter again until she was 31 years old. Yeah, that's that's wild a lot. and like really sad.
1: But I also wonder, like, well, I think we get into it a little mm. bit later.
0: But, you know, that's she tried to, to find complicated, her. It's yeah. a
1: complicated situation.
0: Yeah. So in 1980, Ono wrote an open letter to her daughter in the hopes that she might see it one day. So she says all these years there has not been one day that I have not missed you. You are always in my heart. However, I will not attempt to find you now as I wish to respect your privacy. I wish you all the best in the world. If you ever wish to get in touch with me, know that I love you deeply and would be very happy to hear from you. But you should not feel guilty if you choose not to reach out to me. You have my respect, love, and support forever. Love, Mommy.
1: I mean, yeah, that's that's probably a... Honestly, I think the best way that you can put that, I don't know all the circumstances behind yeah. that,
0: and I feel like it's pretty messy. But I also feel like back then mm-hmm. it was probably like, well, she's with her dad, so... And if they're in London and he's in, like, Texas, I mean, yeah. sometimes things, like, go but, over state lines and it gets messy, but, like, now you're in a whole different country.
1: But the fact that they even petitioned for custody in the first place, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, and they want it, so... Sure. But well, we said they went off the grid, mm-hmm. but like, what happened to them?
0: Where'd they go? So <laughs> it was revealed years later that Anthony and his daughter had spent several years in a religious cult after arriving in Texas. Wait, a religious cult in Texas? Yeah, mm-hmm. we narrowed it down. Like, there were probably <laughs> 70, but the one they were in, they were there for a couple of years, which sounds so scary and so interesting. And like, I would love to know more about this woman's life. Yeah, but also simultaneously respect
1: her privacy it's kind yes of no weird... i want
0: her to tell me like yeah. i want i don't want it to be like we dug we went through her garbage and found these things like i want We're her not to like scientology <laughs> <laughs> don't get on scientology's <laughs> bad side what are you thinking bring it. no, no listen bring it. <laughs> she's i don't know her
1: <laughs> okay so you're saying like they disappeared into this cult like mm-hmm. that must have been
0: like, it must have seemed impossible, really, at that point, to get things back to normal, right? Right. I mean, yeah. Like, so the thing about it was that Yoko Ono has always found comfort in her art. So that's what she leaned into. Like, okay. she used her art to express a lot of the pain that this kidnapping caused. Because it's basically still a kidnapping. Yeah. Right. Yeah. to the I call mean, call that when it's the parent? Was I it custodial kidnapping? I don't there? know if
1: they had a name for it back then, but I, that's not my specialty. Yeah.
0: I should what? hope kidnapping isn't your specialty. <laughs> you don't even like kids. That'd be weird.
1: I hate you. <laughs> uh, okay, like, let's go back to the album for okay. a second, okay? Yes. This Two Virgins album. Yes. It was actually released by Apple Records, which was the record label that produced the Beatles albums. Mm-hmm. And it was released on November 11, 1968. And remember, this is the same month that Lennon's divorce was finalized. So, I don't know. Coincidence? Probably not. But it's kind of weird. His wife must have been so mad. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we'll put her on the list. Now I'm interested. I'm sure she. I'm sure there's interesting stuff on her for mm. sure. But uh, there were a few issues with the release of this album. I mean, first was the cover art. Mm-hmm. If you, well, I'm sure it'll be on our Instagram. But if not, if you're Ooh. not there, like, go check it out. It. I'll make it the second photo because they make it. <laughs> Are we allowed to put naked on Instagram? I mean, I feel like it's an album cover. It's not like right? we're being naked. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Unless you like to recreate the album cover. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> what is happening to that? <laughs> I'm so sorry. How many
1: episodes did it take before we finally cracked? Oh my um, God. Yeah. It's, but. So this album cover, they're naked on it. It was actually banned in the United States because it was full frontal nude, like pubes and everything, right? Um, nice and 70s pubes. Yeah. Well, it's a 60s still, but... Barely. Barely. And the back showed them nude from behind, so... <laughs> clever.
0: <laughs> it's a clever cover. <laughs> it, I mean, it
1: is, but it's definitely caused a lot of scandal. Mm-hmm. It had to be sold in a brown paper bag. Like, Okay, there you go. You can have this, but we can't show you what it looks like. Yeah. And religious groups who were already mad about the adultery between the two uh, lost their minds about these. Another issue was the the Beatles' approval, uh, you know, because Sean Lennon's still a part of the Beatles, mm-hmm. 1968. There's probably some, like, conflict
0: of interest issues. I'm not sure. Yeah, like, does this album mess with their sound, you know?
1: Yeah. And it, it actually took him almost six months to get the Beatles to come around to agree to them releasing the album. It's, you know, because the sound was so different. And there was this idea that it would tarnish the brand of the
0: Beatles if they, that makes sense.
1: you know, it's like, yeah. OK, I'm coming out with this like,
0: I don't know, I'm thinking extremes here. Well, people probably were like, this is smut and the Beatles are releasing smut because of the nakedness of it
1: right because john lennon is a part of it mm-hmm. and john lennon is the beatles and the beatles are supposed to be like awesome. wholesome which
0: i mean they were far from but i that's mean i think in the image. very beginning but yeah people you know they cling to what they want to cling yeah. to you
1: know and honestly there was also just hatred towards the album yeah you know it was compared to leaving a tape recorder on in your home for half an hour and it actually made it to 124 on the charts, which, you know, Ooh, there weren't quite as many songs coming out back then all the time. So
0: I wouldn't think. I mean, I 124 mean, doesn't sound that bad to me. Are you really? That sounds terrible. I mean, out of like when it like the top 10 is like the big hits, like that's so far away from. Well, sure. But 10. don't they have like the Billboard top 100? It's only 24 away from there. It's not even on the top 100. <laughs>
1: But it's like just below it. I don't know.
0: I, guess. I but I bet
1: it probably only, um, it probably only <sighs> hit that high anyway because John Lennon was involved. Yeah, like, without that, it probably wouldn't have even made any. So charts. I feel like with his star power, it should have hit higher. Yeah, it was definitely far from a
0: success, but it was their first step into joint art. True. True. So there's something there. So, the Beatles recorded their last album, Let It Be, at the start of 1970. Ono and John were pretty attached by then, and she would go to the studio with him and the rest of the group. But unlike the other girlfriends and wives, she didn't stay in the control room. She Which, was in there. She, she was in the recording room? She was in the recording room. Okay. So, there's, like, a room, like, if you were to look at it, like, where all the buttons and stuff are, and, like, yeah, the yeah. glass window, or where the producer I, is. I'm married to one of those guys. I... <laughs> Listen, not everybody all says, so. Okay, fair. She was in the uh, Where the Magic Happens room. <laughs> not like that. Oh my God. So Ono and Lennon would work on the music between the takes of Beale's recordings. More often than not, the members would join in on these impromptu jam sessions. So Ono allowed the guys to experiment with sound they might not be familiar with. John was way more serious about experimenting than the others, but they were all on board trying something new and blowing off some steam.
1: There have been many things said about Yoko Ono, uh, especially in relation to the Beatles and the aftermath of their breakup. While there is truth in some of them, others are just pure speculation. Right? Yeah. On April 10th, 1970, the Beatles announced that they were breaking up. And there are many reasons why. But of course, the loudest one was Yoko Ono. It's mm. all her fault.
0: There are so many articles written about Ono. Oh, there are things that people wrote that really shined a light on the sexism and racism of some journalists. Ono spoke to the racial undertones of some of the things that she was hearing. She had been disparagingly called a dragon lady by lots of Lennon's fans. In her words, people expected her to be an oriental submissive woman who followed her man around without thought. Oh, yeah, because that's oh, like, that's not some gross overgeneralization stereotype. Well, I mean, also, you got I think of the time, not to say that stereotypes are like right or anything, but in that time... That's what most people knew of, like, quote-unquote, Oriental women. Like, they were geishas. It was the quietness about them.
1: Or the... the. This was the time of Vietnam, right? Yeah. So, this was the time of Vietnam and, like, people bringing home, like, war brides and things
0: like that, too. So. It's icky all around. I, my it's face so, is scrunched up in grossness. Yeah. Ooh. War brides. That's... I don't... Why would you go home like these people came to... Whatever. Let's not... That's another podcast conversation. Over the years, Ono had learned to take the insult in stride. She says, I'm kind of honored to be a dragon lady. The dragon is a very powerful, mythical creature, she said in the 1992 interview. And Ono believes that the idea that she was behind the Fab Four's rift led to the public's lack of appreciation
1: for her own music for many years. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think there's, there's something to it. I mean, hate it was definitely, I yeah, I mean, it was definitely niche in some ways, mm-hmm. but I
0: think it may have found more success. Uh, if people weren't so bitter about, and there are people, so I was reading just like comment sections on things. Done within the last few years. And people are still mad yeah. and still blame her. And it's weird to me because it's like, how old were you when this happened? Were that you're you are even now, alive? Right? That you're now like in the – what is that website? It's like QRO? QAnon? No. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Oh. Quora. Yes. Quora. <laughs> people Quora. are so mad in the comments. Like people are just – spewing hate in the comment sections about like because I like google was like what was like her biggest album and it brought me there and then it was just like yaguna was just a bitch and it's like whoa are you out of your mind like yeah who are you in this comment section so people are still mad yeah
1: i mean ono states i wasn't valued by people or if they did value me it was in a particular way mm. so i started to feel that if no one else loved me then i had to love myself
0: Yes. Here for it. (laughs) Yes. So there is also an image of Yoko as being a money hungry stalker who obsessively tracked John's every move and caused the breakup of his marriage. Then she forced him to leave his band and move to New York City. In all of this, her alleged goal was to snag someone with deep pockets to help fund her art. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. I mean, if she had all that power, like, why not set her sights on someone already in the art world? like a curator or something
1: i mean i guess the star name the star power everyone knew at, at that time yeah. anyway they knew who john lennon was for sure he had money but like clearly that wasn't her
0: agenda no because i don't know if people didn't know at the time but like she came from a very a very wealthy family like her deep pockets were her own there yeah. wouldn't have been a need to like latch herself to someone to fund anything her
1: father gave up his art to get some money yeah. so that she could do her
0: art <laughs> Yeah, so I wonder if her father saw his dreams being fulfilled through her. Maybe, that's That's curious. I wonder. The cheating part of this whole narrative is correct. They were both married. Ono lost more in the divorce when her ex took her daughter into hiding.
1: Yeah, in an interview with the New York Times in 2016, Ono speaks of the loss she had when she and John got married. And number one thing being their privacy, right? There were so many eyes on her. Now mm-hmm. she didn't have that privacy, which, you know, is interesting because of some of the art installations that they chose to engage in. Yeah. But, um, in the interview, she states in a very strange way for somebody who was always yearning for freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of act. Uh, I got into an incredible, incredible unfree situation. So the two powered through all the hate and harassment, Because for them, it was all worth it. Ono speaks of finally meeting the person who understood her. She speaks of the two of them having matching pains. And together, they were able to turn into each other as they both always felt
0: misunderstood. They kind of found the piece that helped support them. That's like really, really sweet. And like battling through all of that. Because I feel like a lesser person, not a lesser person, but like a less strong-willed person would have been like, this hate is too much for me. I'm going to let you go your own way. I'm going to go pick somebody who's less complicated. But they power through it because they're like, wow, you're the first person who's ever actually gotten me. I'm not giving you up. I don't care what the entire world has to say about me allegedly destroying your band. Like, yeah, I love you. That's really sweet. Oh, yeah. So the two move to New York, like you do. This is the best place ever. In 1971, they show up in New York, partially to escape the British press and fans. Because the British press? At it again. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They're really good at hounding people. And John was houndable. He was super popular. Um, New York gave them a place to relax and kind of blend in. Like I feel like New Yorkers aren't so... We don't get a star crazy. Like no. we see people see Steve
1: Buscemi walking down the street. <laughs> I get a, a little like respectfully, respect,
0: respectfully star. crazy. Oh, sure. Yeah. But we're not like chasing people down. The yeah. I'm streets. not going to like scream in someone's face. I'm like, faint I just get excited and go, you'll never guess who walked by in New York. The two dove into their art. They made lots of short films together. They featured Ono's poetry with John Lennon's music. The two were reintroducing themselves to the world. If the world was ready for it or not. And in some ways they were, and in other ways they definitely were not. Yeah. So their art was considered to be too open or too out there. One short recording called Life with Lions featured the final heartbeat of a baby that they had miscarried. People found it in poor taste, but art was how they best expressed their grief and sadness. Sadly, she suffered three more very public miscarriages. Wow. That's a lot feels very progressive of them to share this with the world as pregnancy loss is something that women are seemingly just supposed to hide and not talk about. A few years ago, when Chrissy Teigen spoke out about her miscarriage, people accused her of looking for attention or looking for sympathy. I feel like the world hasn't properly learned how to let women grieve and like normalizing conversations about miscarriage would be a really good start.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I could definitely see that as being part of Ono's... I don't know if she necessarily chose to make her miscarriages public, but I feel like if she did, Mm -hmm. if that was her decision, then there's probably something to that
0: mentality that she was trying to, to change. It definitely was part of like healing for her. And like, I feel like seeing other people go through things helps you go through it sometimes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Of course we're in 2021 and they're like, you know,
1: Calling it a crime for somebody who miscarries in certain states. Oh God, that's a whole nother.
0: That's like a series. That's yeah, just a series about how fucked up is America. Anyway,
1: Ono was (laughs) also an activist, right? After the trauma of growing up during World War II, she was very Mm anti-war. Ono thought up the idea of a bed-in, and this is probably one of their most famous. There's lots of of footage.
0: It's lots of photos of this one. Yeah,
1: Um, it's basically like a sit-in, but in bed. Yeah. And she and John held two week-long bed-ins for peace. The intent was for it to be a nonviolent protest. And the two were promoting peace by singing anti-war songs, taking interviews in which they denounced sending the troops overseas. This was their way of getting attention, bringing attention to the issues that they believed in. Ono was hyper-aware of their current publicity bubble, and she used it for good, right? She used it to their advantage or to the advantage for the world Mm -hmm. with one call, she could get 50 reporters to come and sit at their bedside and share their anti-war message with the world. That's so smart. You know, art and politics always Mm. coexist, but this is a way to make it even more public.
0: It's like, if you're going to hound me for a photo and you're going to like, follow me, then like, let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's talk about things that I want changed.
1: So once the couple got out of bed, they took to the streets to do more of the same. They performed at rallies, led marches, and held benefit concerts. And there was actually a huge media blitz of interviews to discuss the harms of the Vietnam War that sort of came out of this whole Mm -hmm. peaceful bed-in.
0: But you know who hated it? Um, Lots of people. Yeah. Mostly the FBI. Okay. Which, like, the FBI... He doing some real fuck shit back then. <laughs> but so the FBI started tapping the couple's phones. They were trying to have John Lennon deported. The FBI denied it at the time, but years later, the Freedom of Information Act was released and all this evidence came forward that Nixon wanted to, quote unquote, have the problem handled sooner rather than later,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: I feel like he was kind of lucky just to be deported because or... Uh, or attempted deported. Cause I feel like the FBI straight up killed people back then. Mm. So you got off lucky.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't want to like, I'll get on Scientology's either. bad side, but I don't know if I want to get on like FBI and
0: CIA's bad side. Now <laughs> I'm like making connections. Like they really just had like black people killed and maybe because, because I'm connecting the dots. I'm <laughs> connecting the dots. And like the agent <laughs> that's assigned to me is like, she's getting too close. <laughs> After three years
1: of protesting and court battles to stop the deportation, and, you know, again, remember these miscarriages that Ono suffered, she was burnt out, and she asked John for a separation, right? They, they separated for about 18 months. She enjoyed quiet times to herself, she worked on poetry, and pursued her music. And in an interview, she spoke of feeling like, an old married couple, right? She needed to be constantly stimulated and her marriage wasn't currently doing that for her. So, you know, I think it's kind of brave for you to trust that your relationship or trust your relationship in mm-hmm. that way to know that like you
0: can come back to it, but you just yeah. need a break. Be like, I need to just do me for a little bit. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be back or we can reevaluate this. Right. Let's see what happens. And I don't know. I think that speaks to like, how much they love each other and how they were as people. Like, they're very strong-willed people. Sure. Yeah. Ono runs into John backstage at an Elton John concert, you know, like you do. So the two rekindled, and a year later, at the age of 42, Ono delivered her son, Sean Taro, Ono Lennon. It's a lot of O's in his name. A lot of O sounds. Yeah, Sean has lots of O's. The rest of it. <laughs> The rest of it, O sounds. Even Sean, Sean has kind of an O sound. (laughs) Whatever. What did I say? Haters gonna hate. So anyway, more importantly, they both stopped everything. For five years, John focused on being a dad. There was a real gender roles reversal happening here. So he took over the housework, the child rearing, all the cooking, Ono took over all the business aspects. She was the one going into the office, handling the business side of John's financial empire. She was doing it. She had the checkbooks. She was making the deposits.
1: There were rumors, of course, that she forced him into this. You know, she's taking away
0: his manhood. Like you do, Mm, you know. Totally. You make that bread. I'm going to the office. Sean makes really good bread. Theo makes really good bread. Oh my God, (laughs) bread off. He would totally be down for that. You don't even know. Let's do it. We're signing him up for this. (laughs) I'm excited for all the bread that I'm going to eat.
1: But the idea that she was doing this so that she could like take over the business and steal his money Mm -hmm. and and use that money to fund
0: her art. That old tale. I mean, they were married now. Like, your money is my money. My money is your money. Why would she be stealing more of it? Also, she had money. You know, details. Yeah. But she actually stopped working on her art.
1: And also, like you said, you know, she had money. Mm -hmm. So in documentary Yoko Ono Lennon, Then and Now, she speaks of shutting down on music entirely, right? She understood Lennon's need to completely disconnect from the music industry, and she abstained from the music world for him. So there was give and take in here.
0: Yeah. And I think that, again, I think it shows how secure Ono was in herself, that she was able to do these things. Like, it might seem like a loss for some people that she's giving up all of this for a man. But John was her equal, her partner. Like, what was good for him was good for her. And stepping away from music was what they both needed.
1: Yeah. After five years of self-imposed retirement, the couple released the album Double Fantasy. It was their fifth album together. It was a love-passion project and featured a song from Ono called Kiss, Kiss, Kiss which went on to inspire many new wave artists.
0: Go listen to it. It is, as the kids say a Bob. Okay.
1: Three weeks after the album was released, the peaceful life that they had worked so hard for was shattered. On the morning of December 8th, 1980, Ono and Lennon signed a copy of double fantasy for a fan in front of their apartment building, the Dakota, then went to a recording session. When they arrived back home, the fan was still there and he shot Lennon four times in the back. They rushed Sean to the hospital, but he was dead on arrival.
0: So at the hospital, Ono asked the hospital asked them not to report to the media until she informed their five year old son Sean, who was at home. Ono said that he was probably watching television and that she didn't want him to have to hear about his father's death from a TV announcement. Wow. So there was no funeral. She just asked for everyone to pause for 10 minutes of silence. Thousands of people gathered outside of their apartment in Central Park in front of John's childhood home in Liverpool. And they all respected her wishes. Every single radio station in New York City went, went off the air for 10 minutes as well. That's pretty big. I yeah. mean,
1: silent radio for 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's show's not like nothing. How important he was. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah, especially to the music industry, yes. which is what's on the radio. Mm. Just weeks after his death, Ono released an album and short film. In an interview, she's quoted as saying, how could I release the film right after his death? I couldn't even believe myself. I only think it happened because I was in a state of hysteria. It's not the first time she channeled her pain into art. She says that she could not stop working. She was on
0: autopilot which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, because if once you stop to like think about what is all happening to you, like how do you not just like break down? Mm-hmm. You know? You have to like keep going until the pain is a little bit less, I feel like. Yeah. And Art's always done that for her. Oh no, did end up slowing down for a bit to focus on her son, Sean. So they remained in the apartment on the Upper West Side. Now, like, side-noted here, again, I used to work up that way, and I used to get off at the train station right on the corner mm-hmm. of the Dakota, and for, like, a whole week, we were on the same schedule. So, like, I would walk by and see her, like, I was, like, waiting for her car or something, and I would say, good morning, and I remember the first day, I was like, is that Yoko? maybe and then i like googled it i was like that is her so like for five days in a row like i just would see her and like she always said good morning and she was super polite but like i never saw her again i wonder if she was like i need to change my schedule this (laughs) girl every morning i'm gonna leave 10 minutes earlier just to avoid me i doubt it she seemed really sweet so anyway she spoke about the relationship with her son So she was working on changing the relationship. After the loss of her daughter, she was afraid and kept a bit of distance from Sean. In an interview, Ono states, after John's death, there was just this little thing looking at me. And I said, well, it's just you and me now. It was time to start to create a relationship. That's really interesting. Like
1: The trauma that she suffered from the loss of her daughter, Mm -hmm. leading her to be distant from her son in a sense that she was afraid of, like, being attached and losing yeah. someone else. Like, that's how
0: I interpret that no, that's anyway. that's how I interpret it, too. And it's, it's really sad and it's really painful. And it definitely didn't come from a place of, like, I don't want to be around my own kid. It came from a place of, like, I'm afraid if I love him too much, something will happen. Because, right. like, look what happened with the other child. And that's really sad. But I'm really glad that they got to repair this relationship like she becomes this like doting mom and she's always encouraging sean and his passions and in 2013 he actually produced an album of hers all right working together And um, well ono did not have an easy
1: relationship with her stepson julian from john's first marriage their relationship has apparently improved in recent years They've not always seen eye to eye on things relating to John, but in 2010, Ono and her son, Sean, attended an opening of Julian's photo exhibition in New York City, and Mm. she even promoted it on her own website. So hopefully it seems like bridges are being mended there as well.
0: Ono has dedicated her life to world peace through her art. Her goal is to do things that would elevate and not shame John's name. She's created many art pieces in his name. So in 1985, she worked with New York City to dedicate a small section of Central Park where John and Sean spent a lot of time. It is known as Strawberry Fields. It's fairly recognizable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been there. We have. Yeah. And there was like a line to take a picture with the Imagine... So, yeah, that's no. what uh, I was going to say. We'll post a picture,
1: but Ooh, uh, a few years. Picture. I'll post that. Are you in
0: that picture? I'm not in the picture that you're in, but I took one with Theo, and oh, I look really cute. In it, yeah. So okay. Post we'll that. post that one, too.
1: Yeah. Um, but I was thinking of the the one it was part of our Gish, Gish scavenger hunt, and we had to create a rainbow of people based on, like, what they were wearing. So we had mm-hmm. six people together wearing red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple,
0: and, um, you, you, you took that picture for I us. It, it came out really good. So we'll, we'll share that. Yes. Um, so it's called strawberry fields. People know it, you know, it, you've probably been there. So I asked for countries around the world to donate trees, rocks, shrubs, kind of anything that they had. She wanted to have a feeling of world unity. So the imagine mosaic that we were talking about, it's the centerpiece of this, and it was donated by Italy. So all the marble and stuff came from Italy. Nice. Another piece of art that she's done in his name is the Imagine Peace Tower. So this one is located in Reykjavik, Iceland. And it's a white monument. It has Imagine Peace carved into it in 24 languages. So it's this big tower that's lit from October 9th, the day of his birthday, and then through December 8th, the day that he was killed. I was reading this. About this monument, and I was like, why
1: didn't we see it? And then I saw the dates, and I was like, oh, that makes sense, because yeah. we went in the summer, because we're not fools. We're not going to Iceland in the winter.
0: That does sound <laughs> terrible. I,
1: it was. We were wearing fleece jackets in July, so I'm sure... Gross.
0: I mean, it was nice for July, because mm-hmm. it was 90 and nasty and humid here, so... I, I rather... Like, if I... Perfect weather would be, like, nice fall, or spring would be the best, but, like... Anything cold like that? No, thanks. I'd rather be sweating than cold. Why not neither? <laughs> Why not neither? Exactly.
1: <laughs> but, you know, I was asking Sean about it. My Sean, not mm-hmm. Sean Ono. Okay. Lennon. Lennon, yeah. <laughs> but I was asking him, I'm like, did we see this? Because I don't remember seeing this. But obviously if it wasn't lit up, mm-hmm. then it would have been less noticeable. Because we did go visit the island where it's located. Oh. It's on Viday Island. And I mean, as much as I don't want to be in Iceland in the winter. I wouldn't mind going
0: back and seeing it. I will look for a YouTube video. I mean, I saw pictures, so. Yeah, I'm like, I never need to go. But it does sound really nice.
1: And, you know, buried under that tower, there's another project of Ono's called Wish Trees. And this piece had the following instructions, because remember, she's really into this interactive Mm -hmm. art. said, make a wish, write it down on a piece of paper. Fold it and tie it around a branch of a wish tree. Ask your friends to do the same. Keep wishing until the branches are covered with wishes. And, you know, those wishes were eventually taken off and never actually read, but they were then buried under the the tower. Um, so it's, it's
0: really, I don't know. I really appreciate that. I, think I that's love quite. it. I love the idea of it, that there were these wishes and they were never read, so that means they'll come true. And then they're just like, beamed up to the sky on this like light stream like aliens like alien maybe the aliens will make the wishes come true maybe before she refocused her her vision of art to world peace her main focus was feminist art cut piece was a real game changer in what performance art meant especially for women especially especially for minorities With each generation, her blend of artwork and activism found a new audience, breaking her infamous status one piece at a time. And Ono has been an activist for peace and human rights since the
1: 1960s. Even after all that she's seen, she's still striving for world peace. Her latest causes include campaigning for stricter gun control laws and fighting against fracking.
0: I mean, she would know about stricter gun control laws. Like, imagine seeing what she's seen. Like, from... Childhood like war to losing her husband in such like a violent, absolutely gun ridiculousness. Like listen to her, change the laws. Like listen to everyone. I'm going yeah. off. Sorry, <laughs> guns are bad. Leave them locked up somewhere, please. So not only has she inspired people with her activism, her music has also inspired people. The B52s, cindy Lauper, and Madonna have all listed Ono oh, as music as a musical influence. Her vocal experimentation was radical for its time and it showed people that the sound didn't have to be perfect. It was about the emotions and the storytelling behind a song. I wish we still
1: had that nowadays. Everything is so overproduced. Oh, my God, it is. The, the, that emotion is really missing from mm-hmm. so much music. Oh, I don't really listen to any music anymore. Well, I, I mean... It's super rare. Sean and I were watching that pop culture show and they did the Swedish... The Swedish invasion, or so I forget what they call it. Netflix. It's Stockholm syndrome. It's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, people keep telling me about this. Yeah, it was really fascinating, and they did a whole episode on like the Swedish production companies and their sort of the machine that they are, and how mm-hmm. they turn out so many hits, hit after hit. But we are here for like imperfect emotions yeah. and storytelling, being what's in a song. Like that's what I love.
0: Mm-hmm. So Yoko understood that the record was an art, the whole thing, from social commentary, feud lyrics, to bouncing synthesizers or pulsating drum machines, and even the cover art. In an article written by Peter Piotowski for Pop Matters, he speaks of the cover art for 1981's Season of Glass. This was Yoko Uno's biggest masterpiece. Is a stark, grueling reminder of her pain and sorrow. The album's cover, the picture is taken by Yoko herself. It sports John's spectacles stained with blood. The glasses work as a testament, as an evidence to the gross violation that Yoko and her family had to endure. It wasn't just John Lennon. He wasn't just a Beatle. He was a human being, and he actually died.
1: In 1997, Ono, together with the BMI Foundation, established an annual music competition program for songwriters of contemporary musical genres. It was created to honor John Lennon's memory and legacy. According to the BMI Foundation's website, over $400,000 has been given out through these John Lennon
0: scholarships to young musicians in the United States. Whoa. That's the best BMI. (laughs) That's the only BMI we should recognize. Yes. Yes.
1: Most recently, Ono's artwork was featured in a newly renovated train station, the 72nd Street BC stop in New York City. The artwork, titled Sky, is made up of six mosaic panels installed throughout the station. Each one features a blue sky and a positive phrase, one of them being Imagine Peace. Ono said in a statement, it will bring the sky underground, so it's always with us. I hope this will bring peace and joy to my fellow New Yorkers for many years to come. It's a really nice looking station. I haven't, I always go to, the, what is it, 86th Street, Eighty sixth? 82nd, What the museum is. I'll yeah. I always get
0: off at the museum stop. Mm-hmm. So. That would be the next one. Yeah. But this is her stop. I wonder if she takes the train. Maybe. She feels like a woman of the people. All right. So what do we take away from all of this? So many things, uh, people are sexist. Yup. And, uh, they'll do basically anything to make it a woman's fault. Uh huh. Good things that I take away from it. Art, art is life changing. Art can be anywhere. It's fluid. I especially love art in New York city and the way it just exists in public spaces like that. that. Like you're, you can always be a part of it. Like I love interactive art. Yes.
1: Honestly, you know, I grew up thinking that the reason the Beatles had broken up was because of Yoko Ono. Same. Not once did I consider that these four grown-ass men could have had their own issues that were not related to the women in their lives. right? So yeah, people are sexist, like you said. But that shit is internalized and passed down, and I really hope that that's changing. And that, I think, is part of what we're trying to do here is sort of break that continued internalizing, blaming women. Yoko Ono was far from perfect. Honestly, she really was. There's a lot of things that are flawed about her. But she, you know, she may have had her own issues, but to place full responsibility for the breakup of a band on one woman, like, damn, she'd have to be pretty powerful to have that much control. Like, right? Really? Because on the one hand, they're like, oh, it's all her fault. How dare she? And then Mm. on the other hand, it's like, oh, she's just a woman, blah, blah, blah. Yeah.
0: She's just looking for money, but she can't find any. So how could she, you know, like make it make sense. Like your explanations don't all link together. They never do. Mm. All right. So a couple of resources and references that we used to work on this episode. There are some pretty good documentaries. You can find them on YouTube. One is called Yoko Ono Lennon, Then and Now. It's another one called Yoko Ono Interviews. It's, the, it's a Times Talk, so it's with the New York Times. Okay. Not to be confused with the TED Talk. Yoko Ono, groundbreaking artist, activist, fighter, behind the myth of her name by Bob Lansroth for WideWalls.com.
1: So we hope you enjoyed the episode. You know, let us know what you thought about it. Do you have any ideas for other women that we could cover going forward? Other artists, other musicians? We're definitely open to suggestions. Just let us know.
0: You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram at Big Reputations Pod. Email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to include your thoughts in a future episode. Subscribe to us on
1: Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or honestly, wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family and your local hippies. Subscribe and leave a five-star review.
0: We also have merch. Our wonderful logo designer, Samantha Wallace, has agreed to put the logo up on her redbubble.com account. So you can order a variety of items from stickers to t-shirts, mugs, and more. Mouse pads. You can get mouse pads. You can. Yes. So check out the link in the show notes. Help support our artists this holiday season. Absolutely. All right. Let's wrap up this episode. Can we have a quote for us this week? I do. And I have one from Yoko. I have only one life. So I want to make sure it is a good one. And as always, believe women.